And welcome back, everybody. We continue here for another hour right here on the Big Talker 1700. Um, I guess this guy really needs no introduction, but we are radio guys, so we have to do it anyway. He is the longtime voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes, the one, the only, Gary Dolphin is our guest. Dolph, how are you, pal? And do you need a boat to get around at Kinnick Stadium? No, no, that thing got blown a little bit out of proportion, uh, Jim. First off, good to be on with you guys. Uh, it, uh, you know, when you get two inches of rain and a half an hour and three inches and under an hour, uh, that water's got to have somewhere to go. And, you know, part of the issue last night at Kinnick Stadium when the, the carpeting got flooded for uh, a couple hours anyway is that uh, all those tunnels uh, that the Hawks run out of, opponents run out of the opposite end, all those tunnels uh, run straight down. And so not only was uh, were the, uh, and by the way, it's a terrific drainage system, uh, trying to handle uh, what, what had fallen on the field, but all of a sudden you got these waterfalls cascading down hard concrete uh, onto each end of the field. And so it, it got out of control for a couple of hours, but uh, I kind of had to laugh at, at some of the social media stuff out there this morning. But, uh, yeah, there, there were spots for the field. The field turf did bubble up through uh, maybe a foot of water or so. Uh, and, and it was quite the sight to be seen last night uh, when that thing was winding down. But uh, the field the field will be in great shape for Saturday's game, I can promise you. And uh, that's certainly good to see. Hey, Dolph, you mentioned social media. Now we know Kirk Ferentz, not a big fan of the social media, and the player's not uh, allowed to be on Twitter and all those things. But you joined Twitter, what, about uh, officially a year ago? I know you were signed up beforehand, but... I've seen you much more active on Twitter here recently. Are you liking what you're getting out there on Twitter? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to be diligent, Trent, and using it. Uh, a funny side note there, uh, I don't know, it was five or six years ago, I think, when they first came to Podolak and I and, and said, hey, uh, we'd like to do a Twitter page. I speak of the Hawkeye Network in Learfield. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we both almost simultaneously said, uh, no, no, we don't, we don't want to. We don't want to go there for fear of what we uh, might say or could say or let something slip. And so for four or five years, we didn't do anything. And then uh, finally, uh, I guess in our older age, Pody and I agreed to, to do some. Not so much on game day. I don't want to be distracted by you know, having to tweet something out at the end of each quarter or halfway through the period. But uh, we would use it around the game, post-game, uh, if there's a significant uh, event, uh, you know, talk about that and uh, – so uh, a year ago when we were firing the thing up, uh, uh, our engineer and our producer said, hey, you know, we've had this page for five years. You guys haven't put one thing out there, and we have 80 regular <laughs> followers. So, so I don't, I'm not sure I want to meet those 80 people uh, and, and see what they do for a living or what they do in life. But uh, I always thought that was kind of comical. But I think it, uh, it, it points out the draw that the Hawkeyes have, that uh, some fans hang on every word or every word that isn't spoken i guess but we're having we're having fun with it uh, usually uh Cody will uh, will give me uh, what he wants to put out there and then we'll 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 soften it up a little bit <laughs> translate it into something that's terrible uh particularly if the hawks are having a tough day uh that's great stuff Dolph. okay uh are they going to have a tough day in game one against Northern Illinois, the Huskies. A pretty good team coming out of the MAC. Uh, their defense is solid, including the uh, defensive lineman, Sutton Smith. 
Uh, how do you read this? And with the Hawks missing two offensive linemen due to one game suspension, how does that impact anything, or does it impact anything? I don't know. Working in reverse order, Jimmy, I don't know that. Uh, uh, obviously, Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs are extremely gifted. I don't know that it's going to impact the game that much uh, because uh, Mark Kallenberger, I can tell you, is a guy they loved it. They loved him from the minute he signed his tender a year and a half ago, whenever it was, and they redshirted him last year, and he comes from a great program in Bettendorf. And they probably, if they were going to pull the redshirt off somebody last year, in addition to what they did, it would have been Kallenberger if they had to, but they were able to get by despite all those injuries. I, I really like the way the offensive line performed when Boone Myers and, and Ike Botker and Sean Welsh was out for a time. Uh, they, they really had a game of musical chairs going there last year. So I think uh, now you've got Render and Reynolds and uh, either Paulson or Cole Banward inside. They're all upper-class veterans. Granted, they haven't started a ton of games, uh, but they will going forward. I should say that uh, Keegan Render has started a lot of games. Uh, and then on the outside, you've got Kallenberger and Dalton Ferguson, who's a uh, fourth, fifth-year guy, red shirt, uh, was awarded a scholarship this week, as you know. He comes from Solon, and we all know what kind of program that is. So these are really good football players. And if we've learned anything about Iowa football, if there's one consistency uh, over the Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz years, it's the solidity, uh, the stableness, uh, of the uh, chemistry of offensive lines. Now, I will tell you, with a guy like Sutton Smith, uh, you better use those tight ends, and they're very good. Uh, to double-team and block this guy as well. You just got to knock him around every snap of the football because they're going to move him around and try and get him in an advantageous position. But uh, if, if there's been one constant strength for Iowa football over the years, it's that offensive line. And I don't expect that to be any different on, on Saturday with a couple uh, uh, first-time starters. Uh, now, in Northern Illinois, you're right. Uh, they'll, they'll cause you problems. Uh, you just think back to Lincoln a year ago in Nebraska. When they uh, won the turnover battle and won the game, Nebraska outgained them two to one in yardage, but lost the game in Lincoln. That that's hard to do. Win in Memorial Stadium five years ago, the Hawks turned it over late. Northern Illinois kicked the field goal to, to knock off the Hawks uh, at Kinnick Stadium. And uh, Rod Carey, who I remember from his days at Indiana, uh, he's four and one against Big Ten teams. Uh, they're outstanding head coach. This program's gone to bowl games nine out of the last ten years. So to me, whether it's uh, Bill Mallory or Jerry Kill or Dave Doran or Rod Carey, it's all about the system. It's all about the system. One guy feeds off the previous head coach and, and continues to, to stabilize the program with what they do well, and that is uh, they usually have a good quarterback, and the Childers kid is the MAC uh, freshman of the year from a year ago, very good option quarterback, so they have to identify him on offense. They've got uh, two all-MAC uh, offensive linemen at the tackles, so they're very good in the offensive line. And defensively, it all it starts and, and ends with Sutton uh, Smith. So as they've won over the years, they've attracted uh, really good players. The only reason Sutton Smith isn't playing at a high Division One level Power Five conference team is uh, he had a he had a, an assortment of nagging injuries his senior year in high school, and everybody backed off on him. But Northern Illinois obviously saw something in him that they liked, and good for them. Outstanding player, quick off the edge, thirty tackles for a loss last year. 14 sacks to go along with it. Going to be interesting to see him out there on Kinnick Stadium's field coming up. Well, uh, Dolph, with that, with the victory, Iowa gets the win. It will be a passing of the torch, if you will. Kirk Ferentz will pass Hayden Fry as the all-time win leader 
in Iowa football history with your, obviously, knowledge base and your history here in the state of Iowa and calling Hawkeye games. What does that mean to you? Well, it means a lot because, uh, first off, uh, Trent, if, there, if there's one coach, one person that would deserve to uh, have the torch handed to him as the all-time winningest coach at Iowa from Hayden Fry, it would be Kirk Ferentz. Hayden gave Kirk his first job way back in 1981 when he flew in here as a grad assistant to interview for the O-line job. And obviously something Hayden saw in this young guy who was in his in his 20s at the time, uh, or late 20s, uh, something struck him that, uh, excuse me, uh, mid, mid-30s, obviously a young coach either way. Something struck Hayden about Kirk Ferentz. And uh, and obviously he rolled the dice with him, and and uh, it it turned out to be a, a great move. And as most of Hayden's coaching hires did, many of them are coming back for a thirty fifth annual, thirty uh, fifth reunion uh, this weekend. I speak of uh, guys like uh, Bobby Stoops and and uh, Bill Brazier and Don Patterson and McCarney and others. So it should be a fun time at Fry Fest. But I, I think uh, if you ask Kirk about it, uh, he he doesn't want to talk about that win number 144 he wants to talk about the team and that's who he is that's who kirk parents personality uh, uh, is, is all about it i mean it, it's evolved from hayden fry you know hayden always diverted attention from his players to himself and uh, kirk parents does the same thing in, in, in a somewhat of a lesser way a more nondescript way so i i think the fact that hayden uh, saw something in kirk parents hired him and here we are 143 wins later uh, set to break a, a, a monumental record. When you think of uh, Eddie Anderson and, you know, you go back to those undefeated teams in the 20s and uh, to Evashevsky, to, to, to Hayden, and now to Kirk Ferentz, to be the all-time winningest coach in Iowa football history, that, that really says a mouthful. Hey, Gary, I'm curious. Uh, look, I, I, we all know what Ferentz offense is all about, but now that you have a guy at quarterback in Nathan Stanley, do you give him a little more free reign? Uh, like, I mean, look, he's not going to throw it 50 times. We know that. They're not going to play the spread. But is, is it is it in he and the offensive coordinator on the same page, will he get an opportunity to make some calls at the line of scrimmage, change things if need be? I guess that's where I'm headed. Yeah, he absolutely will. I think Brian Ferentz has given him a lot more uh, 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 free will and now to uh, uh, check off or change the play uh, or audibleize uh, at the line of scrimmage. And, and I'll I'll be uh, I'll be very surprised if I don't see. I mean, not not wholesale uh, uh, changing of the play, but a lot of that on right. Saturday. Yeah, uh, because it, it's not so much because Nathan Stanley threw twenty six touchdown passes to six picks a year ago, and that's off the charts for a first year starter. But I think everybody, uh, Jim, has been in this offense now uh, for uh, over a year and a half, including Brian Ferentz. I-, I can tell you, being around Brian, he's much more comfortable in that role. Uh, I can tell you that uh, whether it's Kelton Copeland uh, or Tim Polishek, remember they were brand-new assistants a year ago, too, so they were all trying to circle the wagons at the same time. Kenny O'Keefe came back as quarterback's coach. Now Kenny's the salty veteran of the bunch, so he, he kind of fit in from the get-go, but there were a lot of moving parts in terms of new starters uh, at quarterback, wide receiver, and elsewhere uh, in the offensive line, particularly with the injuries a year ago. And then you have all this new coaching mix 
so I, I think what you saw in the uh, in the bowl game in particular, even though it was an ice skating pond at Yankee Stadium, I saw a lot of uh, a diversion, a lot of checkdowns, uh, a lot of uh, uh, different maneuvering, especially in the second half. Even though it didn't show in points uh, scored, but I saw a different offense in the bowl game, and I think that's transcended right through uh, spring football uh, to, to present day. And, yeah, I, I think you'll see a much more comfortable offense going through the motions out there. And, of course, Nathan Stanley will be right at the head of it. Now, it's important that he has guys at the other end who can stretch the field and catch those passes. And I think you'll like what you see when uh, Amir Smith-Marset and uh, Kyle Gronowig and Nick Easley and this young kid, Reganey, from New England. They're not after me, by the way. Those sirens are going by. They're not, they're not chasing me down. But I think you'll like what you see come uh, Saturday going forward. Uh, Dolph, I'm I'm real curious also about the defense. Do you have concerns about the linebacking core or the defensive secondary? I think you're pretty okay with what's on the defensive line. Where are you on the defense? I I, I don't have a ton of concern about the linebackers. First off, and and here's why is I mean I'd I'd have a a bunch of concern, no question. If you're telling me that Josie Jewell and Ben Neiman and Bo Bauer were being replaced by uh, three freshmen or three redshirt freshmen or, or, you know, young true sophomores. But in, in Nick Neiman and Amani Jones and uh, to a lesser degree, uh, a lesser degree, Christian Welch and Jack Hockaday, uh, and, and there, there are a couple of others in the mix, you have uh, guys that have, have cut their teeth on special teams. That's not a surprise at Iowa. A lot of schools do that. That's how you, that's how you get your oats uh, in you. Uh, that have played a lot, though. Imani Jones was a demon on special teams last year. Uh, Nick Neiman, I, I, I'm, I'm being honest here, guys, when you watch practice, you'd think it was Ben Neiman running around out there. They're, they're, they're very similar in size at 6'4 and 235 pounds. Nick uh, runs as good as Ben. Now, granted, he doesn't have the game day experience. But uh, Hockaday, Christian Welch, uh, 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 Colbert, uh, Colbert uh, the, uh, the youngster, I think you're going to like what you see uh, at, at that linebacking position. Now, it's going to take some time uh, for him to get game day experience. In the back end, yeah, it, it, they're young, especially with Brandon Snyder's departure and Josh Jackson le- leaving early for the NFL. But one thing I've noticed about Phil Parker in the last three years, they've really upgraded. I mean, they've focused on that secondary. They've upgraded the recruiting uh, to, I think, faster athletes, better athletes, because they're playing a lot more wildcat and, and nickel packages. That, that's college football today with all these high-octane uh, passing offenses. So I, I really like what they're doing in the secondary. Up front, it's got to be one of the best uh, lines returning in the Big Ten, and it starts with Anthony Nelson, in my view, Ian Parker Hesse. I mean, those, those two have been around now for two or three years. Uh, you know, I look for guys that make big plays and key moments. Anthony Nelson seemingly has done that since he stepped on campus. But that fourth quarter he had in the bowl game at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. where he knocked the ball out of the quarterback's hands, which led to a score that really effectively sealed the deal. After Iowa had scored, they were able to run out the clock. Uh, this guy, you know, I, we hear a lot about AJ Epinesa, but I can tell you, Anthony Nelson could be uh, one of the stars in college football uh, in the D line this year. You know, Lattimore, Golston, uh, AJ, those are guys that have to come along. But those two defensive ends, they actually have more than two, but those three, deep, four defensive ends. Uh, and then you throw in Sam Brinks and, and uh, Brady Reef will be back after week one. 
they've really developed some nice depth there. So I really like the defense. You can probably sense that. Absolutely. I'm there with you, Dolph. Before we let you go, final thing. Hawk Talk back with Kirk Ferentz. Now, I saw John Walters, our friend with the Cyclone Radio Network. They're no longer taking calls. Is it the same for Hawk Talk with Kirk Ferentz? Uh, well, I'll give you a little exclusive since we're only, what, uh, an hour away yeah. from our first Hawk Talk program. No, uh, I, I, I've always believed in phone calls. Now, granted, uh, the, the issue, as you guys know, has been at least the last few years, and this is true for basketball, too, uh, is that uh, with social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook and, and all those wonderful amenities have changed the way call-in shows are. Uh, coaches don't really care for the shows in general. I mean, they do, but they don't. Uh, but it's a way for them to reach out and talk to the fans at midweek, maybe give them a little bit more of a preview uh, of, of what's coming on Saturday. So we will continue to take phone calls. Okay. <laughs> and if I can use this uh, wonderful 1700 as a forum, yes. uh, we, we, need, we need new callers. God bless Tommy and God bless Dave and <laughs> God bless all those regulars that, that call in each week and, and uh, because they love being a part of the show. And as you guys know, we, we know people are listening, but very few people want to pick up the phone and call mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. I get it. They just don't want yeah. to be on the air. But uh, I encourage uh, people to, to call the show. It's toll-free. It's on us. Talk to the coach. He's not going to bite you. Uh, you want to ask a somewhat controversial question? Uh, that's okay. He's fine with that. He might look at me and roll his eyes on occasion, but but he but he's fine with that. So no, we'll we'll continue to do Twitter and Facebook, uh, and as well as uh, and by the way, if they want to ask on that forum, that's fine. Uh, but I, I like I'm old fashioned. I like the phone calls. We'll continue at least for another year, guys. So there's your scoop. All right, we got it. Gary Dolphin, the voice of the Hawkeyes, Phil Nassim, Hawk Talk with Kirk Ferentz coming up six thirty to eight o'clock along the Hawkeye Radio Network. Dolph. Looking forward to another great season of Hawkeye football and Hawkeye sports. Thank you so much for your time today. Good to be on with you guys. Everybody have a great fall of college football. See you. So there's Gary Dolphin, the voice of the Hawkeyes. Always fun talking with him as we are due for a break. Coming back with more on the other side with you until 6 o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC. All right, time to talk a little more football. We talked tons of college football today. Let's get into the NFL and particularly the Chicago Bears. Joining us right now, Jeff Hughes from the Bears blog is, we're not really getting ready for preseason week number four, right? I mean, this is an absolute disaster. Are you looking for anything? I know, Jeff, you're not a big preseason fan, but this one, I mean, we're talking about going to a different level. Calling me not a big preseason fan is, is an understatement, <laughs> uh, if there ever was one. This, uh, this has been coming for years, and I've been trying to harp on this year in and year out. Uh, general managers and coaches are putting less and less impetus on performing in these preseason games. They have made the determination that they would rather start the season rusty and a little sloppy than, than be injured before they ever get there. And the Chicago Bears suffered two serious injuries uh, in, in, their, in what was their third game. Uh, Adam Shaheen is lost for how we don't know how long. Leonard Floyd broke his hand. And they looked at that and said, hey, we're practicing well, things are developing at the right pace, and we're not going to put guys out there and risk not being able to run the offense and the defense we want in the regular season in the name of 20 or 30 reps. So nobody played last weekend, and if you thought nobody played last weekend, wait till you see Thursday night, because (laughs) there will be names on that field in the first quarter that we'll never see an NFL field again. 
this is when you start calling in guys off the street to finish the game. And I'll, and I'll add this. If Tyler Bray gets hurt at any point in this game, I don't even know if they have another guy who will suit up at quarterback. Uh, you might see some wildcat. You might see Matt Nagy walk across the field to Sean McDermott and ask for the damn thing to end. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're at a point now where the NFL has to address the preseason. They can no longer charge fans to attend these games. They can no longer uh, ask the cable networks to run these games. They have to solve this, and they have to solve it soon. With the starters not getting their normal reps in game number three, it led to a lot of hand-wringing. Certainly had uh, uh, problems with the starters not getting the reps that they normally do. This is changing. This is evolving. I guess the good news for people that were upset about it is there's a blueprint to this. And you mentioned you know, Sean McDerm- McDermott, another young coach out there, out in Los Angeles. We saw this a year ago with the Rams, and they went through, didn't play golf a whole lot, similar circumstances as Mitchell Trubisky, and we saw what happened. So I, the the changing of the old guard and explaining how things are changing and evolving, it can be difficult, but at least you can point to that and say, see, this can work. It, it, we'll laugh at this in a year or two because I think you're going to see in the next couple of seasons no one's going to play their starters in these games. It's just not worth it. Uh, this year, uh, the Packers sat all their starters for their third game. The Rams did it again. Uh, I actually turned on the Texans game, and then they've got a quarterback they've got to keep healthy. He played two drives, and, and they, got him, they got him out of the game. Uh, it's just not worth it. It is too easy now for these guys to get hurt in game situations. And for people who say, well, you can get hurt anyway, anywhere, yeah, you can. But you can really get hurt when another really super fast, strong athlete is running at you full speed. And if that's not going to count on the stat sheet for these guys to make money down the line or in the standings column for these coaches and general managers to be evaluated, the risk is no longer there. Preseason football does not make fundamental sense anymore. And I'm just glad that the Bears are on board because, you know, what if they were to lose a Mitch Trubisky in that game? It yeah. would deflate the entire football mm-hmm. season two weeks before it starts. That has happened in this league previously. It'll happen again. But I do think there's a change coming to the preseason format sooner than later. Uh, what about Trubisky's progress? What have you been able to glean out of that, even though uh, we haven't seen much of him in the preseason? The, the, the team is thrilled. And when they got into camp with all of these moving pieces, with all of these new weapons, and now a new complicated system, they just simply let them go out there and play. And each day they would add another player or two. Each week they would implement the new faction of the offense. But he mastered the offense so quickly that it enabled them to speed up his progression through the summer. Uh, Listen, it's going to take this offense four or six weeks, I believe, of the regular season until they start to find, call it a momentum, call it whatever you want to call it. This, this is how the NFL works. Last year, what happened with the Rams is, is the outlier. That, that, is, that, is not the, that is not par for the course. So if you expect the Bears to come out week one and score 40, I think every Bears fan would love to see it. It's just historically not what happens when you have a young quarterback and a new offense. But I'll tell you, everybody I talk to in and around the Bears is as excited for this group of offensive players, especially with this group of offensive coaches, as they have been in the 13 years I've been doing this. 
There is a genuine feeling inside the building right now that this offense is going to dictate games to their opponent. And I do not think that has happened in Chicago since Walter Payton was there. It's been a wow. long, long time. And one of those yeah. pieces that is down the line, you got two wide receivers to be very excited about, bringing in Allen Robinson to help there and what they drafted with Anthony Miller in good shape. The continued question is Kevin White. He scored a touchdown early in the game against the Chiefs, and he wasn't doing it against a four-stringer here. Orlando Skandrick, a very accomplished NFL player, stop-and-go route. We know about the speed of Kevin White. What kind of production do you think he's going to provide this year? I don't really think he's going to provide much. As a matter of fact, I'm not 100% certain he's going to be on the team this year. Mm. Uh, I think Kevin White, I'm glad to see him getting back into the fold. I think the Bears are going to give him, have been trying to give him every opportunity uh, to be in the fold. But it should tell you a lot that he was even in that game. Uh, and Javon Wims has outplayed him and outpracticed him pretty much all summer long. The, the Bears want Kevin White to show them what they saw when they drafted him in the first round. They have not seen that. And the problem with Kevin White now is he is definitively the fourth receiver at best on this team. And fourth receivers, if they're going to be active on game day, have to contribute on special teams. And you cannot put a guy whose bones break at this first sign of contact, you cannot put him out there on special teams. So what value does Kevin White have as a fourth receiver who doesn't perform on specials and isn't really a fit for this Matt Nagy offense? I still think the Bears are looking to unload him. I think they were hoping someone would make an offer. But I, don't, I just don't see it from Kevin White in this offense. I'd be very surprised. Listen, Anthony Miller was given the day off. Anthony Miller has never played a snap in the NFL. He is a second-round pick and a rookie. The Bears are so confident in that kid, they didn't want him anywhere near the field Saturday. And they had no problem putting Kevin White out there for the entirety yeah. of the first half. Uh, I think the Bears have, in a lot of ways, started to move on from Kevin. And I think it's a shame, but I, I do think there's a productive NFL player there. I just don't think it'll happen in Chicago. When you, when you mentioned the, they were hoping to move him, do you know that they, have, uh, that they had floated uh, trade possibilities, or is that an opinion? Uh, and if they were to float trade possibilities, what do you think they could get for him, if anything? I think they would take anything. Uh, from what I was told, uh, and this, is, this has been going on now for a few weeks, uh, if somebody were to come to the Chicago Bears tomorrow, and offer them a sixth or seventh round pick for Kevin White, I think they would take it. And I, I think they like Kevin. I think they've told the league how much they like Kevin. Uh, but right now, his stock simply isn't very high. And he's still on a rookie contract, so whoever takes him on, there's salary implications there. He's not, he's not a lightly paid player. So uh, I, I think they're going to have to make a decision here in the next four or five days as to what his role with this franchise is moving forward. And I think the league, from the several people I've talked to in the league, why a trade is very unlikely, I think the league believes he's going to be cut and available very soon. Last thing for you is we're talking with Jeff Hughes from DeBear's blog. A couple of local guys. We got to see James Daniels start at center. That was good to see. Your thoughts on him at the position we both believe he should be. And another guy here from the state of Iowa, DeAndre Hall, a safety. He's going to be suspended for game one of the season is that going to impact his ability to make this team? Uh, I'll take Hall first. I can tell you, without fail, the Bears really like DeAndre Hall. 
They like the style of play. They like his aggressiveness. Uh, he's, been, he's been a very mature player in terms of they've moved him around a lot. They've asked him to learn a lot of different positions, and he's done that. Uh, I do think he's going to make the team. I think there's, they need the depth at safety, which is where they have him now predominantly. And I think he's probably their third or fourth best safety. So, and he's a special teams contributor. So I do think uh, that Hall will make this team despite the uh, suspension. Everybody you talk to about James Daniels says the same thing. He's a center, and he is probably the best pure center on the team. However, Cody Whitehair is the leader of the offensive line right now. He's calling the offensive line protections. Uh, Matt Nagy has been, if anything, uh, effusive in his praise of Whitehair. If James Daniels is going to get on the field early in the season, it's going to be at left guard. And I think we're probably uh, an offseason away from him moving to center full-time but that's coming. We, we all know it's coming. He's a natural center. It's his natural position. I, I'd expect it to happen sooner than later. Disappointing to hear, but that's the reality. Jeff Hughes bringing it from DeBear's blog. Jeff, as always, good catching up with you. Thanks, guys. Good talking. Always love talking NFL, talking Bears with Jeff Hughes from DeBear's blog. Jimmy B is, we get ready for that garbage Thursday night football tomorrow night, game four of the preseason. I feel bad for people that are, you know, forced to buy those tickets. I, I really do. Trent, this has been one of the worst uh, NFL preseasons, not just injury-wise, but, I mean, with the display that has been on the field. And normally, that game three, you at least see the starters for a half and sometimes uh, a series or two into the third quarter. And most teams, just like Chicago, didn't even play their guys. Jacksonville did. Uh, uh, the Arizona Cardinals did for a while. Uh, I mean, there were a few others, but most teams now, it's just reps in practice, and they just don't want to have their, you know, their big-time players and big-time named guys out on the field during the preseason. Does that does that indicate then that it might take? Two games then during the regular season for teams to really start hitting on all cylinders? Well, I, I think that's been the case here recently. I, I think we've seen that a whole bunch as more and more teams are starting to go that way. But four preseason games, six preseason games, eight preseason games, they all don't matter. It doesn't matter what you put out there. It's going right. to take a while to get ramped up when you play real football and playing for 60 minutes and, and all the different cliches you want to put out there. Changes are coming, Jimmy B. Let's hope it's sooner rather than later. we got to take a break here, coming back with more as we take you up until 6 o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC. Back with you as we roll through, taking you to 6 o'clock tonight. Time to talk baseball. Ian Castleberry stops in. A lot of day baseball going on this afternoon. Here on a Wednesday, Ian, you can find his work. Find him on Twitter, at Ian Cass, as he joins us here today. Ian, what's a good word? Oh, just, uh, you know, getting through the dog days, uh, staying cool. Yeah. yeah, it is the dog days, certainly, but uh, one team has played pretty well in the dog days of, of August throughout the tenure, and uh, earlier today the Cubs got the victory in the suspended game. Joe Madden, uh, you look at his record with the Cubs and what they've done Seemingly every year in the month of August, pretty incredible. Now he's had good teams, that's a part of it certainly, but seems like this is the time of year, kind of year after year, and after there's been a lot of consternation in these parts about this Cubs team, 
here they are looking to have the best record in the National League again and maybe cruise their way into another division title. Yeah, I think uh, they know they're the best team. Uh, uh, the Cubs just have to play like it. And uh, uh, the NL Central has kind of uh, worked into their favor, although the, the Cardinals are certainly making a run here. But, you know, that that's probably a good thing uh, to, to have a team – uh, right on their heels like that, uh, uh, compelling them to play better. You know, imagine if this team had, you know, a 10, 12 game lead and possibly be lethargic uh, go- going into uh, the postseason or, or even the stretch run. And I think also, uh, you know, the, the moves that the front office has made, uh, getting Daniel Murphy, getting Cole Hamels, I think that's really pr- uh, uh, provided a, a huge boost uh, for what what's still. Uh, a young team, knowing that the front office uh, has its back and uh, w- will fill holes uh, w- where they're needed and, and to get the players, uh, even if there's been a little bit of luck involved, uh, as with Daniel Murphy, but to, to get the sort of reinforcements uh, that are really going to help down the stretch. So they begin, however, a very important series uh, upcoming with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, how do you view this and how important is it maybe for the young Braves to compete and win some of those games so they feel like they would have a chance, what you just stated, that the Cubs right now the best team in the National League? Yeah, I think Atlanta's going to uh, have some pressure or feel some pressure to uh, to show that they can hang uh, with the Cubs. Uh, you know, with such a young team, are they going to kind of wilt under that pressure? Maybe uh, uh put too much pressure on themselves. Uh, I, it certainly helps uh, that, that the series uh, is in uh, Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta also, you know, maybe benefiting from not having to worry so much about it. They're starting to pull away a little bit uh, with the Phillies slumping. I think they have a four-and-a-half game lead now uh, in the NL East. Uh, I'll be very curious to see if that um, helps them focus maybe a little more on this series and not looking at the bigger picture with the division race. Ian Castleberry joining us from the comeback as we talk Major League Baseball. Over on the other side of the American League, the Yankees are chipping away. Any concern with <laughs> yeah. the with the Red Sox at all as they've gone through certainly their, their poorest uh, week, 10-day stretch that we've seen seemingly all season long? I think there has to be some concern. I've, I've seen plenty of Red Sox fans yes. uh, on social media, you know, uh, freaking out. And, and uh, you know, even though Boston has been phenomenally successful uh, over what, what the past uh, 10, 12 years, maybe even more, there's still that the history of, of, of that franchise, especially uh, when it comes to uh, playing the Yankees, that I, I think that's just inherent. And they're worried, uh, Red Sox fans are worried that somehow uh, their team is going to blow this. Uh, there are probably some concerns, uh, certainly uh, starting pitching uh, injuries, uh, notably uh, Chris Sale. But uh, if any team has uh, the starting pitching depth uh, to withstand that, uh, I think it is the Red Sox. Uh, but I would certainly point to uh, a favorable schedule, the Yankees, have a, a more favorable schedule. Uh, they play uh, several uh, of the worst teams uh, in baseball uh, in that final month of the season, where uh, as the, uh, the the Red Sox uh, have a little bit of a tougher go, notably uh, a three-game set uh, with the Astros. 
um, that could, uh, you know, if this is a, a four or five uh, game uh, margin uh, going into September, uh, that, that is not uh, an insurmountable deficit for the Yankees. Uh, no, it's not. We've seen this uh, uh, kind of movie many times in the past. Uh, take me to the AL West then. Are you a little surprised that the Oakland A's, Seattle now is seven back, so they're starting to fall, but are you surprised that the Oakland A's are still hanging around with the Houston Astros? I absolutely have been. I mean, this team has been uh, uh, just one of, one of the, the great surprises. I mean, this isn't like a, a team like Atlanta, you know, where, where uh, young players and the rebuilding plan uh, maybe, you know, accelerated, took a jump. Uh, these are still, uh, you know, I'm sure they would get offended by calling them a bunch of no-names, but uh, you know, uh, Chris Davis, uh, you know, did have so, some notable home run seasons in Milwaukee. Uh, for him to be such a tremendous power hitter in what just seems like a cavernous Oakland Coliseum uh, is truly impressive. Matt Chapman uh, emerging as, as one of the best third basemen uh, in baseball. I, I do wonder, though, if uh, the A's may uh, be hitting a wall now uh, with their starting pitching. Uh, you know, uh, Brett Anderson. Uh, has an injury. That's a sentence that I'm sure many Cubs fans are, are familiar with. Uh, he, he's down uh, uh, with an injury. And then uh, Sean uh, Mania, uh, who has been uh, their their best starting pitcher this year, um, now having a, a shoulder problem. Um, you know, are they not going to have uh, their top two starting pitchers down the stretch? Uh, Edwin Jackson and Trevor Cahill have uh, seemingly revived their careers. Uh, but I think it'll be very interesting to see uh, uh, the A's have really built up their bullpen. Uh, you know, they already had a tremendous closer in Blake Trinan. They added Juris Familia from the Mets, Fernando Rodney from the Twins, uh, Sean Kelly uh, from the Nationals. This is a team where, you know, maybe the starting pitcher only has to go uh, four or five innings, or maybe they could take a, a page out of the Tampa Bay Rays playbook and some of these relievers end up uh, starting a game and pitching uh, an inning or two and not really uh, following the traditional uh, plan that we see, uh, you know, of a starting pitcher going five, six innings and then turning it uh, over to the bullpen. Uh, we might be seeing a game games where a, a lot of guys are, are pitching one uh, to two innings uh, to get through the game. Going to be a fun run there, and uh, hopefully we get a good race out of it with the A's and the Astros because – I don't think we're going to get a whole lot else else out of that in the American League this year. Ian, enjoy the baseball. Enjoy week one of college football. We'll talk again soon. I uh, can't wait. All right, thanks so much, guys. Great talking to you. Thanks, Matt. Ian okay. Castleberry with the comeback. Joining us here as we talk a little Major League Baseball, Jimmy B. What's on the agenda in the world of sports for you? Well, we don't have football yet, so it's pretty much baseball. And, Trent, I probably will flip on some of the U.S. Open tennis championships as well uh, because people are melting literally on the court due to all of the heat. But I will sample some of Washington, Philadelphia tonight. Uh, I am going to pay attention to Pittsburgh and St. Louis because the Cardinals just refuse to go away in that uh, National League Central race with the Cubs. So that's probably where I'm, I'm going to be this evening. You got anything in particular, or is this uh, the bachelor night for you? <laughs> no, no, no bachelor tonight. That's not at the, the top. 
Got to catch up on Hard Knocks, so that is on the DVR. I'll be taking a look at that one this evening. Baseball-wise, tonight, I'm not going to watch my Twins take it in the short hairs again to, to the Indians. I don't want to see that. You know, I, I'm interested, Washington-Philly, and we probably talked more Nationals this summer than we should have, Jim, just because of yeah. the star power on that team. But they've won three in a row. They win tonight. Uh, maybe something to get excited about there with about a month to go. But yeah, outside of that, pretty light night in baseball. I'll keep an eye on the cards, keep an eye, obviously, on the Brewers. That, that'll be a part of it. But catch up on Hard Knocks and got three old gymnastics tonight. So uh, Ella will be out there on the gymnastics floor becoming the next champion from West Des Moines. Oh, man. Get video and post it. I want to see it. I want to see when she does her first backflip. That's that's a long ways away, Jimmy B. Long, <laughs> long ways away. With that, we are out of here. Back tomorrow starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller during your lunch hour, then on your drive home. It's Jimmy B. and TC. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on 1700.